Well, this morning, we are going to continue our series on the attributes of God. The series is called God Is, Things That God Is, not what things He does, the acts that He does, the the righteous acts, and not what He has. If it was something that He had, He might lose them, but His attributes He will never lose. If it was something he had, he might misplace or use them up or they may run out. But these attributes are true from beginning to end. They have no beginning and have no end. If there were things that he could just have and not who he is, he might be busy in China doing some work and not have time for us here at the Gateway Church. But we know, again, that's ludicrous. God is everywhere and he's here right here this morning. So far in the series, we've said that God is a person, God is good, and God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. We've talked about God is omni. And today, we're going to dive right in to the next, uh, we're going to actually look at two attributes this morning. And at first, look, you're going to say, okay, how do these work together, or could they even work together? But I hope to be able to package it, and uh, you'll see why we put them together. Today, we're going to say and talk about God is justice and mercy. And I want you to flip with me. We've got several verses to uh, kind of tackle here. Uh, the first one I want to look at in regards to God's justice is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. It says, Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. In Psalm 9, verse 16, if you turn with me there, Psalm 9, verse 16, it says this, The Lord is known by his justice. Everyone say justice. And on the next page, um, flip over one page probably in your Bible, uh, Psalm 11, verse 7, it says, For the Lord is righteous and he loves justice. He loves justice. And back to Isaiah for for one more verse. Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 verse 8 says this, For I, the Lord, love justice. God is a God of justice. We also know that the scripture in many places describes God as a God of mercy. And turn with me to Deuteronomy first. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. It says this. It says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. But I love the beginning. He says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. The next one is in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 31. It says this, But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. Why? For you are a gracious and merciful God. God is gracious. He is merciful. He is a great God. I want to look at a couple other verses and how mercy and justice are tied to God's love. And I think it's an important distinction. Turn with me to Psalm 101. Psalm 101, verse 1, says this. 
about God's justice connected with love. He says, I will sing of your love and your justice. Love tied with justice. And then in Psalm 25, verse 6, 25, verse 6 says this, Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love. And so you're saying, okay, it's tied, love is tied to each of those. And that's an important distinction for us. Love is tied to his justice and love is tied to his mercy. Now, just for our sake this morning, I'm going to give you a a definition of justice. Justice is giving someone what he deserves. Think about someone that that commits uh, murder and uh, cold-blood murder, and uh, they sit before a judge, and they are judged justly. Um, If they are judged justly, they will spend time behind bars or maybe even the death penalty because they're getting what they deserve. That's what justice is. Now, mercy, on the other hand, is not giving someone what he deserves. So someone offends you, someone hurts you, and you want to give it right back. Instead, you give mercy. You don't give them what they deserve. And by the way, grace is giving someone something he does not deserve. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, that God is grace. In fact, I'm probably most excited about that particular week. Um, It should be really exciting. But justice and mercy. And you say, okay, how could God be both? How could he give and not give people what they deserve? Do we serve some sort of schizophrenic God? A God that if you catch him on a good day, there's blessings. And if, boy, if he's mad or if, if he's having a bad day, look out, judgment's coming. Is that the kind of God we serve? No. Is it a God that we serve that, hey, if we do a certain amount of works, that all of a sudden we get blessed, but if our attitude's bad or, or if we're not serving in a certain way, that we're going to get his justice? Absolutely not. The truth is, though, that God is completely just and merciful when he deals with us. Say, how is that even possible? Well, I want to unpack each of these um, individually, and let's look first at God is justice. In fact, everything that justice is, God is. And that's an important distinction. Everything justice is, God is. And I don't believe that our culture, and I believe even in the church, I think we have a weak concept of justice. I know I did until I studied this further. And, I, and by the way, I don't think we appreciate mercy, but we'll get to that. The concept of justice and God being a just God is rooted in the idea that God is a judge. In the Old Testament, a king, there was one ruler over the land. There was an ultimate authority, and that king would judge, and it was one person's verdict. It was up to the king, and they would sit, and they would judge in different, in different arenas. But God is not just another judge or another king. He's not one of many. There were many kings that were righteous, we know. There were were those that were wicked. But kings made mistakes just like we do. Not one was perfect. But God. God is the only judge who can judge perfectly 
properly 100% of the time. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 16 says this. It's interesting how it describes God. It says, but the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice and the holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness. How many are thankful for God's righteousness. If God, if God was not righteous and he was omnipotent, all-powerful, and he was evil or even had a tendency or even the possibility of being evil, we would be in major trouble. But God is good. And because he is good, we are, he is righteous, he is just, and uh, it's a powerful, powerful thought. I was studying this week and uh, one commentary or one commentator made the note that in regards to God's justice, that there's a terrifying truth found in Scripture. In fact, this guy said that the most terrifying truth in Scripture is, catch this, that God is good. And at first when I was reading, I'm like, wait, that, did I misread that? What? And I, but he answers the question, it's the most terrifying truth in Scripture, God is good, because we are not good. <laughs> scripture tells us, for all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. All throughout Scripture show, shows that we need a Savior. History of mankind tells us that we are not good. There's evil within mankind. And let me tell you, if we went one by one this morning, each of our testimonies of our own lives, if we could get in to our lives and kind of share or reveal, there is not one of us here that are good, our thoughts, actions, our life. So what does God do with us? We are wicked. We don't measure up. God is good. We are not. We have sinned against God. We've sinned against each other. We've sinned against nature and everything. And all of creation calls for our condemnation. If a holy God just was to forgive sin, to simply just pardon the wicked, if a holy God calls the wicked to himself for fellowship, he would not be holy or righteous. That's a powerful thought. So the question this morning, and we'll put it up on the screen, is how could God justify the wicked and be God? How could God justify the wicked and be God? And the answer is, he can't. He cannot do it. The reality is that God's attribute, his nature, He's the full embodiment of justice, and he cannot forgive wicked men until justice was satisfied. And this happened through the cross, through Jesus dying on the cross. Christ satisfied justice. The verse that Brendan read in worship from Isaiah 53, a few verses after that, says that it pleased God, or it pleased the Lord to crush him. Jesus was crushed and bruised and beaten and he hung on a cross for us. It pleased God 
to do that. You say, well, how does that work? Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. There's just a, a powerful few verses here. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Thank the Lord for that. Amen? It says, There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then verse 25 describes something. The theological term is propitiation, but it describes it. Listen to what it says. It says, God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. A sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. It was God, a just God, that allowed his son to take what we couldn't pay, and he paid it all, like the song we sing sometimes. Now, for me, I like to have a visual picture of this. And as I was thinking about it this week and just asking the Lord, what came to mind was a scales you ever been to the lawyer's office and you kind of see the scales that's got you know this side and this side and and uh, that's a that's a uh, uh, common because that's what the court of law does it judges it weighs the evidence back and forth now i want you to imagine that on one side of a scale we'll put it on this side is god all right god is over here on this side his justice his holiness his righteousness and just for our sake this morning we're going to say that on this side is a one million tons it could be a trillion it could be a gazillion it could be whatever but it, it, it's heavy and it's it's uh un, un um, you could hardly measure it all right and so that's god now on the other side is you and me all right, and for, I'll just put myself there, all my goodness, and uh, you know, I have a lot of things that are good about me, you know, and I could, I could share with you, but, or my works, you know, I mean, I, I, I love to do good things, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm awesome, thank you, <laughs> I hear you, brother, but you know what, okay, so on this side, how much, how much did it weigh over here, 100 million tons, all right, 100 million tons, and me over here, even at, my, even at my best, it's like a feather or a speck of dust. And that's what God describes. The evidence. Remember, what justice is, it's giving someone what he deserves. And that just doesn't balance out. There's a story in the Old Testament at Sodom and Gomorrah with, uh, dealing with Abraham where we see God as a judge. And it's interesting as you kind of unpack that. And, he, and what, what God is doing and Abraham is doing, they are gathering evidence. And Abraham asked God, he says, shall not the God of the universe do right? And the answer is, of course, yes. The God of the universe, he will act justly. He will do what is right. And what's interesting is that in Sodom and Gomorrah, they had no clue of the judgment that was coming. They thought that they were doing what was right. But can I just say this boldly, and it, it may step on some toes, but regardless of what we think, regardless of what the popular culture says, 
what media might think or what religion might say. It is not for culture to decide what is right and wrong. A few years after Christ was on earth, there was a philosophy uh, by Plato that, that would say that it's the community, the agreed upon um, community would describe what was right for that community. But when it comes to Scripture, what is right is what God says, period. And that's important for us to understand. And so with Abraham here, he's saying, look, would you spare the city for even one righteous person? And you know, God destroyed the city. He wiped it out completely because there wasn't even one person righteous. It was God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Now some might think, man, that seems harsh. That's too hard. Or someone might say, well, I don't see God like that. My God, he he doesn't judge in that way. Or I don't see Jesus like that. That might have been Old Testament, but not New Testament. I'm living by the new law, right? Well, can I just remind you what Scripture says? It says when Christ returns, according to Revelation 1, Jesus will be the judge Do you understand the implications? And it says that he is coming with a sword. Jesus is the judge. Now the key is when the evidence of our lives is is measured, we are all lacking seriously. There's nothing you can do to add enough weight to your side to to make it balance. Believers non-believers. Some of you might say, oh, well, I'm really better than I used to be. Or I don't need God's mercy as much as I used to. Or I was really bad back then. I'm all cleaned up now. Well, the problem is, with our culture, and it's in the church as well, we grade ourselves on a curve. We do. We give ourselves grace. We compare ourselves to each other. We say, oh, I'm not as bad as Brendan, I'm not as bad as, you know, Tara. And we, we say, and, we, and the problem is we're not lining up against what God's word says. We're all fallen. We all fall short. Have you ever heard of someone that say, oh, you know, how do you know you'll go to heaven? Hey, do you think you'll go to heaven? Yeah, I think I'll go to heaven. Why? I'm a good person. You ever heard that before? Yeah, well, I'm pretty good, right? No, you're not. We are all wicked. And unless Jesus steps on the scale with us, with me, the evidence is lacking. But you put Jesus on with me, and what happens? It's balanced. The bottom line is we can make it to heaven because of God's justice. That was a new revelation for me. I always think of God's mercy as what saves you, but it's God's justice that saves us as well. And God is just. And what's interesting is that we can reflect on Psalm 32. Turn with me there. This is powerful. You ought to uh, mark this in your Bible. Listen to what it says. It says in Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2, it says, Blessed 
is he whose transgressions, that's your sin, and all your wickedness, all your thing, everything you've done wrong, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. We are blessed because God, he can erase all of that sin. It's his justice that saves us. God is justice. But he's not only justice, he's also mercy. And he's the full embodiment of mercy. God's mercy has no beginning. It has no end. It doesn't increase and then decrease. It will never die. It'll always be. And it didn't increase when Jesus came onto earth. There are some that would say, oh, when Jesus... you know." No, mercy is because God is. And the key is, it was God's mercy that sent Jesus to the cross. Remember what mercy is, is not giving someone what he deserves. And we are able to embrace, to experience God's mercy when we accept Christ as our Savior. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't immediately judge the wicked? And when I say wicked, I mean you and me. And I know that's I like it's, I even feel weird saying that, but that's the truth. There's no one righteous. We're wicked. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're wicked. No, don't. I'm just kidding. Don't do it. Don't do it. But why doesn't God immediately judge us when we make a mistake? When we go down the road too fast and we're breaking the law? God doesn't judge us right then. Or why doesn't God judge us when we you know, steal or when we cheat or when we you know, uh, use God's name in vain or whatever the case might be? It's his mercy. 2 Peter chapter 3 kind of describes that God is withholding judgment, which is a very interesting thought. It's his mercy that does this. For me, the chief of sinners, for a murderer, for a liar, for a cheater. He does it for us. But I don't want you to think that judgment is not coming because God's word says that we will be judged. Every sin, every thought, every action will be judged. And Peter there, he was um, reminding, he says, don't forget about Noah. Don't forget about Sodom. They will be judged. But again, it's God's mercy that delays that judgment in our lives. There's another piece to this that's I think is important. That mercy is active. It's not a one time and then done. It's continual. Mercy is active and it demands a response. A positive response would be to receive Christ's help. To say, okay, I will receive Christ. I'll receive his mercy in my life. I'll I'll accept Christ for who he is. A negative response would be rejecting Christ's help. And there are people every day, people in our lives that reject his help. Some would say, oh, well, I'm just not going to respond to God's mercy. Well, no response is a negative response. You cannot be neutral when it comes to God's mercy and his justice. We must respond. We've got to remember that Christ evaluates us against himself. 
We need his mercy. We need to invite Jesus on to the scale. You and I need his mercy. And God's justice is good only because mercy sent Jesus to the cross. When we put these together, we need to understand that God is completely just and merciful at the same time. You see how they kind of work together? It's not the Old Testament that he was justice and now in the New Testament there's mercy. It's not that it's one or the other. And what's interesting, there are some lines of thought that God is more merciful than he is just. And that is just not true. Scripture does not say that. It's not that Jesus is on the mercy seat today and then tomorrow or someday he will switch to the seat of a judge. No, his mercy will never end and his justice will never end as well. And I believe the message is for believer and non-believer both. And it's important that we don't cheapen justice and mercy by choosing one or the other or putting God in a box or, or trying to highlight one above the other or making God into our own idea or twisting truth to fit our own lifestyle. We need to use God's word as a standard and know that he's just and he's merciful. Amen? Amen. Now, we've had two goals in this series, and I want to recap those two goals. The first goal is to think more about God. We've said every week that, boy, if we can get you to walk out of here and then throughout the week to think more about God than you would um, otherwise, that we feel like we'd have success. And that's kind of the first point. And uh, hopefully this morning we gave you a bit to chew on, uh, to challenge you to dig deep, to explore, and to examine Scripture. Let me just say, don't take my word for it. Look to God's word. What does God's word say? And then not only that, talk about it at work. Talk about it with your family. Talk around the table, around the water cooler. And, And what does God's justice and mercy mean to you? And it's an interesting topic. You start talking about this with an unbeliever, someone that might be seeking, and I believe that God would use that conversation to draw people to him. The other thing is, is you're thinking about God. You need to think about your own life. Have you cheapened grace or cheapened mercy and justice in your own mind, with your own actions, with your own belief? Do you think yourself higher than you actually are, thinking that you are good? or that you really are better than you once were. Well, the reality is you need God. And unless he steps on that scale, you are in trouble. And as you think more about God, we want you to put yourself on that scale. Take the evidence, look at Scripture, and line it up and see where you, where you, where you end. And remember, you cannot add up. There's something wrong with you. You are morally unequal. I, earlier, I missed the point. I skipped over it. The justice is morally equal. And uh, that's what makes God who he is. And we are morally unequal. Important piece to remember. And as you think more about God, I think a proper response is to thank him for his mercy. Thank him that he does not go around immediately judging 
everything we do wrong. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, I'd encourage you to turn there. Ezekiel 33, verse 11 says this. It says, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. What he's saying here is that God, when someone that has uh, committed murder, uh, maybe a serial murder, maybe a, a, this goes way back, like a Ted Bundy type, if you remember when that all came, came uh, I was pretty young when that happened, but I remember watching the news. God takes no pleasure in judging the wicked, in the death of the wicked. He would want a Ted Bundy or a uh, Hitler or the worst person that you could think. He would want them to turn towards him. And that's kind of hard for our human mind because we want to get even, don't we? They deserve what they, what they got. But listen, it says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? God would love nothing more than to see each and every one of us turn and find Him as our Savior. And the answer to the question, we've got to answer the question, where do you stand with Jesus? And how do you respond? Because your response to Him in regards to His justice and His mercy will determine how He responds to you. The second goal that we've talked about is that we should desire more of Jesus. That through this series, that as we learn more about God, that we would have a true, authentic relationship with a Heavenly Father. To grow in grace, to grow in knowledge of God. And something that's happened this week, and I want to add to that, is that there would be a deepening in our repentance. When you understand God's justice and mercy fully, our hearts should cry out, God, save me. And then to be gracious, to be thankful on the other side. But to grow, to draw close to God because of who he is and because of what he's offered us. I believe if we truly understood these attributes completely, which is probably not possible on this side of eternity, we would be completely overwhelmed. And part of me is overwhelmed when I think about his justice and his mercy and his omnipotence and that he's good and all these things. But we get to to get pieces, to get nuggets of these things. And what's awesome is that God, he reveals himself through his scripture and he helps us to grow. And so we desire that, the desire to, to have more of Jesus. Now, I want to kind of end on two thoughts. And Brennan, you can come at this point. There's two other things that I think the Lord wants to bring out. One in regards to his mercy. One in regards to justice. Let's talk about the mercy one first. With mercy, as we receive mercy and really appreciate it, which I believe is what God wants us to do. He wants us to appreciate it. 
It's only then that we can give mercy. So we receive mercy from God and we can appreciate it. Then we can give it. And the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the merciful. In the the Greek there, it's actually, you could say, blessed are those who mercify. It's active, that, that process of giving mercy. And I just believe that true believers, people that love the Lord, people that are, would call themselves Christian should be some of the most merciful people that are walking on the planet, that are walking on the lakeshore, in your families. If you have received mercy and appreciate it, then you should be able to give mercy. But the opposite's true a lot of times. I know a lot of Christians that are not all that merciful. They're rigid and and hard and judgmental. And that kind of leads me to the second one, with justice. With justice, I believe as we understand God's justice more fully and we understand our own reality that what we deserve is death and, and destruction, we should, as Christians, become less judgmental. If we are full of judgment, I question if we've received mercy. And that's kind of hard to say. If we are full of judgment, we have not received mercy. But there are a lot of people that would call themselves believers that are some of the most judgmental people you'll ever meet. And I just want to encourage myself and encourage you that as we understand God's justice and mercy and what he's done for us, the last thing we should be is judgmental. And I understand there's scripture that says we need to judge those within the community and and, uh, I'm talking about our relationship with the world. Let God be the judge. And this comes across the board. You pick whatever hot topic is out there and there we can, it's, you know, Christians can throw out all kinds of judgment. Let God be the judge. Let God be the judge. He's pretty good at it. How many would agree? <laughs> and I believe that we can be merciful like God has been to us. And I believe that when we embrace that, when we exercise that, it may not be our natural tendency, but Christ in us causes us to not judge, but to show mercy. As we get, I believe that that is attractive to a non-believer, to someone that might be curious about the faith. Would you agree? That that is what would be a sweet aroma that would say there's something different about that family or different about that businessman or that there's something different about that mom. There's something different about that young adult or that child. It's God's justice and mercy working together in their lives. And I believe it's a powerful statement 
to try to embrace. And I just thought, boy, I didn't want to miss that this morning. And I hope and I pray that that comes across with love. And, and I need to work on it as well as probably many of us do. That we would walk out of here full of justice, understanding, and full of mercy, being willing to give that. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask that your heads would be bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. As we wrap up our thoughts today, you may be sitting here and realizing the truth of God's Word, maybe for the first time or maybe you've heard it before, but maybe it just has clicked that if you were put on a scale, God on one side and you on the other, you are morally unequal. There's nothing you can do to receive salvation, to make the scale balance. The only way is if you invite Jesus onto your side to stand with you, to sit with you, and then it becomes equal. And this morning, if you are at a point in your life where you're saying, boy, I need God, I need Jesus on my side, his justice, what he's paid, I want to receive that. I want to respond with a positive in accept Christ as my Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask that you just slip up your hand right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you, don't walk out of here knowing or wondering where you stand because you can know for sure. So if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Yeah, thank you. Sure. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? Say, man, that's what I need in my life. I need God's help. Anyone else? There were two individuals. I'm not going to single them out. But that have responded. And that's exciting. Because Christ is revealing himself to these folks. To these individuals. What the Bible says, church, is that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But it also says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what happens when we confess our sins. Jesus gets on the scale with us. And this morning, I'd like to lead us in a prayer as a community. And it's not the prayer that saves us. It's the belief in Jesus. But sometimes it helps to, to kind of capture a moment. And so this morning, would you pray and encourage these two and let's, let's believe that God is doing a great work in their lives. Would you pray this after me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've done all kinds of things wrong. And I realize I can't do anything to achieve greatness. I can't achieve salvation without you. So Lord, I need your help. And Jesus, I confess my sins to you today. Please forgive my sins and make my heart clean. Come into my life. 
save me. Step on the scale, Lord, so I can be justified and receive your mercy. Thank you, Lord. set you apart. He has justified you. It's His justice that has saved you. His mercy that has saved you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. The next thing is really asking the question, and you can put your eyes on me for the next moment, is really asking the question, what is God speaking to you today in regards to his justice and mercy. As you're trying to get your mind around this idea, what is God saying and what will your response be? Because it demands a response, I believe. What is God saying in regards to justice and judgment in your life, in regards to mercy? Justice and mercy demands a response. And as you walk out of here this morning, in just a few moments, I want you to understand that God, He desires for us to have a great relationship, to embrace who He is, and then to live it out and to affect other people with His goodness. And this morning, I don't know exactly where each and every one of you are on your journey with Christ. But I know for me, as I sat with the weight of this message of God's justice and getting my mind around that and then his mercy, it took me to a place of surrender, saying, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray that you would be moved as well. What we're going to do, I'm going to ask that you'd stand here in just a moment. Or go ahead and you can stand now, yes. What I'd like to do is to just uh, give you an opportunity to respond. The altars are open. Uh, I want to encourage you, instead of just bolting out of here, to spend a couple moments with the Lord. Brennan will lead us in a song or, or continue to play to the last person's here. And you can come forward to respond to the message. Come forward if you need prayer, would like to be anointed and uh, to be prayed over. Uh, we would be happy to do that. Um, you could pray right, right where you are. Uh, but I'm just going to encourage that we would just spend a couple moments before we, before we exit. I'll say a prayer benediction here, but other than and then there will be no other official closing. But I'm going to encourage you just to stick around and let God continue to reveal himself through response. You may want to grab your Bible and flip through some verses and to do that. This is a place to grow and to learn, to explore, and it's a safe place to do that. So let me pray and then you can be dismissed or you can stay to respond and uh, just know that we love you and we thank you for being here this morning. Father, we just are grateful for what you're doing. 
Thank you that you've revealed yourself this morning through your word, that you are justice and you are mercy, the full embodiment of both. And God, even though our mind has a hard time uh, understanding that completely, Lord, we trust you. And we're asking, God, that you would just move in our hearts and our lives, continue to draw us close to you, a deep, authentic, real relationship with you. And help us, Lord, to grow in our repentance, to become more like you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as we respond, as you go. And uh, we'll be here to pray with you if you need anything.